You're listening to episode 73 of Chirps, a St. Louis Cardinals podcast for birds on the black. I'm Tara. He's Alex. We're both really bored and there's no baseball to talk about, so things might get a little weird. Happy listening. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the show. We are living the same day over and over and over again at this point, but hopefully you are finding new things to do with your time. I'm Tara and joined with Alex as always, but Alex, it's just the two of us for the first time in a couple of weeks. And I don't know if that counts as quiet time in your life of quarantine, but hopefully you've gotten a few minutes this week. Uh, yeah, I'm doing okay. I, you know, I just did one of those zoom happy hours with a bunch of friends from law school. Uh, the, probably about 20 minutes before uh, now, I guess. And it was very nice, but those are always so much better in uh, uh, on paper than they are in <laughs> practice. Especially it's a when little you have, awkward. When you yeah. have more than like four people on there, you can't really figure out when to talk. And uh, I don't know. Although we all said we're going to do it again soon. So who knows? Maybe. I did one last week. I don't know if you saw the the Katie Nolan one where there were it was Katie Nolan starting it and a, a bunch of other people in the media who were like, let's see who the most famous person we can get to I, jump I on the Zoom that. was. Yeah, yeah. So we kind of riffed off of that a little bit and uh, tried to keep it within our circle of you know, college alumni and start there and then see where it went. It kind of diverted from that plan very quickly when a couple of people were just like, I'm going to invite everyone I know. <laughs> That was not the point of the call, but uh, we did end up with a, a good collection of mostly alumni, mostly people that I went to school with, and then a couple of random other people who were like, why am I here? <laughs> so can be entertaining, certainly was enjoyable. Similarly, we were all like, yeah, let's do this again sometime. But a little awkward at moments, especially when people are talking over each other or there are kids in the background. And um, this is the weird version of socializing that we're resigned to at this point. Although I did say after my very first interaction with Zoom, that as a noted introvert and person with social anxiety, this is kind of ideal for me because I can have my moment of social interaction and not ever have to leave my house. <laughs> Yeah, well, I'll tell you who it's not ideal for. Yeah, l last week was my wife's birthday, and because it happened during this, I had I planned like this surprise Zoom party for her. So like, okay. uh, I set it up, uh, and basically while she was out of the room doing something else, and brought her in, and all of a sudden there's a bunch of people she knows on her computer. Um, but a bunch of those people were like, you know, older relatives um, and older relatives are not compatible with uh, with this technology. Not so much. No. <laughs> the number of uh, moments of technological assistance I have had to provide in all of this. Uh, yeah, I, I get it. I, I very much get it. But one thing that technology hasn't figured out how to fix at this point is sports as far as giving them back to us in any sort of real fashion. I'm curious now if you could do some sort of weird, like everyone in their own position 
and make it look like you're playing. The editing of that could be interesting. Now I'm off on a tangent. The point is there's still no baseball. There's still no timetable for baseball. And we'll talk a little bit more about that in a moment. But as we're trying to figure out how to entertain ourselves with other things, we're going to continue down the road of randomness that this podcast has apparently become known for. And um, Alex, what what have we learned this week? <laughs> All right. So... Uh... Buckle up, by the way. Um, (laughs) So in 1993, there was a really bad movie that summer, The Three Musketeers. Uh, Are you familiar with this movie? It was with like (laughs) Kiefer Sutherland and Charlie Sheen and I think Chris O'Donnell. Uh, Awful, awful movie. Um, There was another (laughs) movie that summer called Jurassic Park, and that was the movie everyone saw because that movie was awesome, and no one saw this movie. Um, this movie <laughs> was like one of those, so I'm not positive this is where it started, but two years before was the Robin Hood movie with Kevin Costner. And along with that movie was this really, really bad song by Brian Adams called Everything You Do. Uh, you know that song, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yep. It was everywhere as this movie was coming out and you couldn't escape it. And I think... Again, I'm not sure if it started here, but I think it kind of introduced this idea that, look, if you're going to have this big summer blockbuster movie, it has to go hand in hand with like this big, hot song, you know, that's going to be Mm, everywhere and also driving the movie. So I've seen this before, but I stumbled upon it again this week. The Three Musketeers movie had this song called All for Love. Um... And it's a it's done by again Brian Adams, again that's Brian Adams with a B, uh, Rod Stewart and Sting, uh, and it has an accompanying video where like Brian Adams and, and Sting are hanging out and they're kind of like complaining that like they're still waiting on Rod Stewart, um, and then like Rod Stewart saunters in in the most ridiculous like pretentious entrance like you've ever seen like he has like all right i'm gonna send you the video now it's at like the 23 second mark okay um you can pull it up and watch it if you want uh hold on i'm sending it to you now all right so rod stewart saunters in and just like i'm the biggest rock star in the world you know which is hilarious because you know 1993 he was no longer the biggest rock star and i'm not sure if he was ever the big (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> biggest rock star in the world but there was certainly a time from like the mid 70s to the mid 80s where he was a very 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 big name and by the time this movie rolled around he was more just like this older pop star who dated sports illustrated swimsuit uh models or or whatever and there's, <laughs> there's just something about the way he walks in and again, they they mention that he's like an. <laughs> I just hour, saw it, by the way. <laughs> okay, they mention that he's like an hour late. He's wearing like this ridiculous like get up with his ridiculous hair and, and sunglasses. And then the song starts, and the song is so, the song sucks so bad I can't even. Uh, it, you you have to watch it, and when Rod Stewart starts singing, it's even funnier. So I, I remember when on, on like VH1 a, a, a long time ago. There was like this tribute to Aretha Franklin, right? And on stage, it was like all like the known divas at the time. So it was like Celine Dion, uh, Whitney Houston, Mariah Carey, 
maybe even Christina was on stage. I don't know if this was before her time or during her time, but you know, those, those names. And they mm-hmm. were doing that sort of like singing where it has a name for it, but you know, when you're like accentuating every single syllable and kind uh-huh. of trying to like out sing everyone and <laughs> l- like when someone makes a star spangled banner last four minutes, that, that sort of right. thing. Yeah, yeah. I feel like this is kind of like the male version of that. If you if you watch the way, uh, if you watch the way they sing this song, it is the worst song. There's a reason this movie sucked, um, and I think like it's one of the, it's such a bad movie that I think the movie was almost made to promote the song rather than the other way around. But the song really sucks too. Uh, you know, it's not like Let It Go, which we discussed a couple of weeks ago, which is a great song. This right. song is awful, um, but it still exists because uh, I'm glad it exists, I should say, because it's funny and the video is hilarious. And watching Rod Stewart walk in at the 23 second mark, for whatever reason, to me, is the funniest thing in the world. I respect the fact that he's way past his prime, but he is still in this zone where he, in his head, believes he is the most important person in the world. And... <laughs> For that, I give him props. That is... Uh, Have you heard one, this song before? I Are you familiar? honestly am not sure. When I'm not recording this and I go back and listen to it, maybe I'll... Uh, <laughs> Did you watch the whole... Um, so I didn't watch the whole thing. I just watched the entrance. <laughs> fast forward to like a minute 30. <laughs> and Or fast forward to like a, a maybe a minute 25. Then watch when Rod Stewart starts singing. And there's something about it. I just can't stop laughing. Okay. It's a total flex by Rod Stewart. I mean, the entrance. <laughs> Even the just flex. before he starts singing, just <laughs> yeah. like awkwardly by himself. <laughs> oh man, it's just he—it's very much like he's actually mad that there's anyone else in this. There room. are a lot the of video. egos in that room. Yeah, uh, you get him and Sting in the same room, and that, there's uh, some problems there. Oh boy, that's uh, you know, these are the things that we discover. When we have nothing else to reach for. Um, I have two things, unless there's more to this music video story that you'd like to share. No, other than I, I want everyone who's listening to watch the video. We'll make sure to, to share the link um, in addition yeah. to the do link not, to the show. When do we, not watch when the we... movie, watch the video. Right, right. Important. <laughs> um, okay, so I have two things uh, that I think are worth sharing. The first one is more about like weird internet content that you discover because you have no other options in quarantine. And actually a couple of weeks ago, um, I, when we had Erica Weston on the show, she was talking about discovering TikTok. And I said at some point, maybe my random thing will be learning how to use TikTok. Well, I've done it. It is a terrifying place, and I don't understand 99% of what happens there. Um, but I, I've uh, been exploring the world of TikTok, and I think there's something weird that happens to your brain with something like that. And once you make a video of, say, my dog, or you know, lip syncing to some line from a movie, or what I'm, I'm not really a dancer, so the dancing part of TikTok, not really my thing. But once you start doing that, you're like, oh, this is cool. I can do so many of these things because it's so easy. And then your brain gets taken over by all of these ideas of ways that you can take other content that already exists and just remake it for this new corner of the internet. And it's sort of all I can think about right now. So um, 
Thanks, TikTok. That's a thing that I probably didn't need in my life, but here we are. And then for the good part of this last week, I know I tweeted about this at some point, but there is a guy, this uh, this was a discovery from TikTok, so I guess it's not all bad. There is a comedian named Ben Brainerd, and he has been doing <laughs> these daily updates about the coronavirus, but with characters of each state in the news, in the dialogue. And he does these, it's it's set up like it's a roundtable discussion with the states talking to each other about how they're handling the pandemic. And it is so funny that on a regular basis, I will go back and rewatch all of them all over again. And I shared it with someone the other day who just now got around to watching them and sent me a DM today with just one quote from one of these videos, just the quote. And I knew that he was as obsessed with them as I am. So look up Ben Brainerd, his daily updates about the coronavirus with characters of each state. Uh, Louisiana is hilarious. And the day that... The day that Georgia shows up, uh, one of my favorites out of the series. And that's just that's just the tease. Those are the things, those are the two ends of the spectrum on TikTok, the part where it corrodes your brain and makes you think that I can do this. <laughs> and then the part where you discover someone who is hilarious and is the delight of the entire pandemic. That's <laughs> it. That's all I got. <laughs> uh, all right, so I, I'm writing down that name. Uh, I have a quick question about TikTok. Yes. So, I mean, I'm an expert now. So. Well, uh, <laughs> I, I'm mostly just like what what explain to me exactly what it is. Like, so Vine was something where you would you would shoot little videos and it would condense it into like a nine second video, right? Vine, right. like it can only be a certain length. Yeah. What, what is like? I've seen the TikTok the tiktok videos on twitter and stuff like that but i don't understand exactly is there a weird filter what what is it doing that's different from a normal video i don't i don't understand it either <laughs> what do you um, mean it has it's kind of like yeah okay but here's the thing so w vine was more like original content you do weird little skits or, or bits that you can do a little sketch or a trick or something that you can do in nine seconds or whatever it is right mm -hmm. uh, tiktok some of it's just like people telling stories to the camera. Some of it is, you know, you learn this dance that someone else created and you do it and get famous. And some of it is literally like a line from the office that you lip sync uh, and, and you know, put captions on or whatever and make it about something that isn't what the original quote was about. Uh, some of it is videos of, of dogs doing weird things. And some of it is, you know, singing a song because you're a musician and like, it's, it's every, there's something in every possible corner of TikTok that is what people already do. Um, but they're, you know, like 15 seconds to a minute long and they can be hilarious. And sometimes I watch them and there's also this very weird corner of TikTok that I'm finding that's like people wanting it to be a dating app where it's like, why am I single? If you like this video, we should be dating. Like, I don't know. It's very confusing to me. And I, I don't quite understand why it's a thing, which is why it concerns me that I'm so invested in creating these very pointless videos. 
Um, but but here we are. It's a, a, a cure to boredom, apparently. And some people get famous from it. Well, um, interesting. Um, <laughs> there's, I, no, there's no real point, <laughs> is uh, what I'm trying to say. <laughs> uh, n- not to uh, direct this back to my thing, but I do realize there's two sentences I need to read you. One about Rod Stewart and then one okay. about the Three Musketeers movie. Good, because that's all I have to say about TikTok. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, under the personal life section of Rod Stewart's Wikipedia page, one of the paragraphs begins with, Rod Stewart is a model railway enthusiast. <laughs> all right. Okay. Well, that's all. That's all I have on that. Um, <laughs> so, uh, For the uh, Three Musketeers movie, I mentioned that Chris O'Donnell was one of the stars of the movie and it says here under reception um it does not have a good rating on uh rotten tomatoes by the way but uh it says chris o'donnell was nominated for a golden raspberry award as worst supporting actor for his work in the film but lost to woody harrelson for a decent proposal i don't, I don't know why that makes me laugh maybe it just makes me think about a time when those movies were actually like a thing people were talking about uh but yeah uh, that's all. We we can move on to more important things. So everyone, continue sharing your random things with us if you should so choose. And I'm going to spring this on you, Alex, because I forgot to tell you, we did get another voicemail, also from oh, Carter, who awesome. is apparently oh. our biggest fan. So shout out to Carter! Thanks for the uh, continued participation in this part of the show where you ask a random question like this one. Hey guys, it's Carter, also known as CardsChat18 on Twitter. I was just wondering, what's your go-to binge-watching genre during this time? Would it be action, drama, mine's cooking shows, I'm obsessed with cooking shows. Thanks, have a good one. Once again, a great question, something that I hadn't really thought about. Alex, I will, uh, I'll take the lead on this one since I threw it at you last minute. I don't quite know that I would pick a genre that I'm binge watching, but I did just restart watching the show Community, uh, which is delightful. So I guess a little bit of comedic relief at this point is probably a good thing. And then in addition to that, like I said last week, I've been watching a ton of YouTube videos on this (laughs) fluid art acrylic pouring thing, which I still haven't decided if I'm going to try myself yet. But so comedy would probably be the thing that I default to. Um, but I have, I've honestly not been watching as much, you know, Netflix or, or whatever as, as one might think in quarantine, primarily because I've opted to spend time on YouTube and TikTok. <laughs> what about you? What you got? What genre? I, I don't really have one either. I, all right, so I now have Disney Plus, and I've I started rewatching The Simpsons starting at season okay. three. So I guess you could say that I, uh, I I'm almost embarrassed to admit this, but I I watch a decent amount of like true crime stuff. Okay. I kind of like Dateline, um, and that's such a gross genre that I'm embarrassed to admit it. I mean, you're you're watching like real people's lives, like you know, I don't know. It's just not a not a great thing. Um, I just last night we started uh, Schitt's Creek. Okay. Um, am I pronouncing that yep. right? Schitt's Creek, Schmitz Creek. Okay. Uh, 
And I've only watched one episode, but I can tell I'm probably going to like it. I can't believe it has six seasons. I just I just heard about this show like a year ago, and apparently it's been on for six years. If that's what six seasons, I started means, that show um, a couple months ago, and then got sidetracked and haven't gotten back to it. But I I am told that I need to finish it. <laughs> uh, last thing I'll say is we finished the second season of Succession just a couple days ago, and I was very satisfied. It was a very good season. Uh, I also like the fact that it's clearly based uh, on um, whether, how loosely, I don't know, maybe not that loosely at all, on the Murdoch family. But I also like to pretend there's a little bit of Ricketts family (laughs) influence as well. Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, Carter, just not in this current pandemic situation, but I have had my phases of obsessing over cooking shows. In fact, back in the day when Cupcake Wars was a real big deal, I learned how to bake cupcakes and it kind of became my thing. It's prob- I think it's still in my, my Twitter bio because I became the person who brought cupcakes to everything. Not simple cupcakes. Like they were very involved with fillings and, you know, layers of frosting and decoration and all sorts of things. I've made cupcakes for people's weddings. I've done. So anyway, I've had my moments. I've had my phases of being obsessed with cooking shows. So I I get it. I really do. And we're all looking for a little bit of a break from things at this point. Without sports, we have to find other things to do. And as we mentioned, to get to the actual content of a baseball podcast. Uh, There's still no baseball, still no real timetable for baseball. However, after last week's show with JJ Bailey, which I hope you listened to, we proposed some additional ideas, some possible alterations to the weird Arizona baseball in a bubble plan. And shortly thereafter, the a secondary idea or the new idea that was released was the concept of realigning divisions entirely based on spring training locations. So the Cactus League, the Grapefruit League, which would align, air quotes, divisions based on the location of spring training homes. So kind of along the lines of what we were talking about last week, as far as keeping people relatively in the same location, not swapping clubhouses quite so often. Alex, maybe they were listening to our show, or maybe this was on the table in some form all along. Is this any better for baseball? I think it's a little better. The uh, one thing we didn't bring up last week, and I didn't think about it until Shoptop mentioned it on the Meet Me at Mutual podcast, uh, so I, I've been to Phoenix twice in my life. Once was this past this uh, this past October, and it was lovely. The weather was perfect, exactly what you would want um, in late October if if it's kind of cold where you are. The other time was in late July a couple years ago, and it was the hottest I've ever uh, felt. Uh, I, I know people say like, "Oh, it's a dry heat" or whatever. Like, no, this is this is like on a whole nother level. It was like 115 degrees. It felt like I was sticking my face in an oven <laughs> or, or like someone was just following you around like a hair dryer <laughs> blowing it on your face. And the point is, as, as he mentioned, like Chase Field is the only one of these stadiums that has a roof. And as we know, by the time this plan would be implemented, we're talking middle of the summer and you just can't play baseball outdoors in 
Arizona yeah. every day. It's just it's just not safe. So I, I almost want to look at it from like an angle of like, let's say they figured out somehow to make it completely safe. Uh, because otherwise I feel like I'm just nitpicking, but I feel like that's a pretty serious thing. Like, and that's something that you can't ignore. And, and along with the fact that we mentioned last week that for a while, and I don't know how serious this was at the time or if it's even uh, serious now, but the idea that like, you know, there wouldn't be mound visits because of social distancing and, you know, you can't, players can't sit next to each other in a dugout because of the same reason, which that makes the whole thing just completely absurd. <laughs> then you can't have baseball if you're, you have to do that because there's going to be other times where you have to be standing next to each other, if not touching each other. That all said, if somehow they figure out like, look, we're positive we can do this and we're positive it will be safe, then I feel as though like I shouldn't, I feel as though I should be happy about it and that it could be cool at least just once. Obviously, no one would want this permanently going forward, but the idea that we would, you know, be in a different division with these different teams like the the Nationals and the Yankees uh, would be, I guess, kind of cool just from a novelty standpoint. Although, you know, part of the reason why it's cool playing new teams sometimes uh, and i'm not a fan of interleague but i know some people are and what some people like about that is you're visiting like stadiums you aren't often visiting (laughs) and that obviously wouldn't be the case here and so again if they can pull it off or if this is the best case scenario and they can do it in a way that's safe sure why not Uh, a, a part of me still says like you know what just if we if that's the best we can do let's just like bag it and and save it for next year but I feel like that's kind of being a pessimist about the whole thing. Um, but the last thing I will say that I think is a serious th- issue is if the players are going to have to be quarantined at their hotels and can only travel from their hotels to the games and back again and be away from their families, like that's a major problem. Yeah. And if I was a player with any stature in the league, I wouldn't go for that. Yeah. What's so interesting to me in this is how it seems like the players are kind of at least the ones that are speaking out are more in line with these ideas than a lot of the fans are. And I I guess it just sort of reiterates how much they want to be out there playing. And I get that. And the flip side of that is look, there's, there's a, a financial aspect to them playing this year as well, right? Whether we're talking about minor league players actually getting paid or, you know, guys who aren't at the very top tier of the game feeling a little bit pressured to make sure that they're getting the money that they are, are contracted for. I get that, but they all want to be out there playing. And, and I think that sometimes the purest nature of baseball fans wants it one way forever and it can never be different than that. And I get it. I'm that person most of the time, but this isn't a normal situation. And I think we have to look at it as this isn't going to be normal if there is any way to make baseball happen this year. And as a result of that, you may end up with something that's absolutely insane in any other circumstance. I had some people telling me this week, well, yeah, but that just opens the door for Major League Baseball to implement these other changes, right? Whether it's the DH or whether it's a shorter schedule or whether it's, you know, fill in the blank. And yes, that's true. And we saw this week 
that Major League Baseball is not opposed to using this pandemic to further their case against minor league baseball, which is a totally different subject matter. But like they were going to do stuff anyway. I mean, if Major League Baseball wants to implement the DH, they're going to do it at some point. Whether that happens because of this season or not, they're not going to completely abandon the National League and the American League in favor of the Grapefruit and Cactus Leagues permanently because it happens this year, if that were to happen. Now, I will say as far as the realignment of this particular uh, possibility, which in the article calls it one realignment structure. So obviously other things have been discussed. Uh, The Cardinals would be in a division in the Grapefruit League with the Nationals, the Astros, the Mets, and the Marlins. Well, the Cubs would be in the Cactus League, the Northeast Division, with the Giants, the Diamondbacks, the Rockies, and the Athletics. I don't know that those are particularly parallel (laughs) as far as the talent level in those divisions, but, uh, you know, it could be interesting to see Cubs-Cardinals in whatever the final series of the season would be called at that point, or whatever that would look like if it got to some sort of level where that was a realistic option. So I don't know, like I said last week, I'm at this point kind of okay with just diving into the weirdness of what could be assuming, as you said at the beginning, that it's actually safe for them to do so. And it's not something that's being pushed and uh, pursued recklessly because there are real people's lives at stake in a way that means much more than baseball does. And that that has to be the the priority at the very top, but it's kind of, I mean, what else are we going to talk about, right? Other than ways to play baseball in a weird year where nothing makes sense. Right. I think part of it, the reason why it's hard to wrap my head around this um, is because I'm so used to baseball being so methodical. And, and that's really important to me, like in, in terms of like how we measure stats, like uh, for instance, 40 home runs mean something if you play uh a certain number of games versus a certain, you know what I mean? Like, I I don't know. Like, like if you can bat, there's just something certain about baseball that I don't like it being interrupted. The, the formulaic nature of it, but obviously we're at a point where that's unavoidable. Now it has already been interrupted. And I, I suppose I am at the ready for them to just salvage whatever they can. Uh, again, with all the caveats that it's safe and all that, uh, I, I don't, know how realistic though it is to put the players in these situations where you know they're going to be quarantined and not around their families and not to mention the the heat factor in arizona i i I go back to what i said last week that it it, it almost feels like baseball is kind of desperate and that if something goes wrong while they're trying these kind of harebrained schemes they're going to look really stupid Um, so they better know what they're doing if if they are trying, if they are going to try to do yeah. this. Yeah, you know, I think it's interesting in terms of kind of the way that there's this formula to baseball, whether it's how you compare season to season, and you can do so because of the large sample size, and you can do so because things are the same from year to year. I mean, we talk about certain eras in baseball based on when something dramatic changed, right? Whether it's lowering the mound or you know whatever it might be, (laughs) changing the baseball, which no one will actually acknowledge. But the point is, you know, we sort of measure eras of baseball and compare players against each other and, and talk about records and those sorts of things. We can do that because it's the same every year. And I think in part, that's why I'm okay with going to some sort of extreme. (laughs) If 
again, if it's safe to do so, because there's no way to make this year seem like a normal year. There's no way to take, you know, half a season and be able to directly compare, or there's no way to take that in light of, we didn't really talk about this on the show, but we had talked about it briefly, uh, earlier today, what does it do to like the Hall of Fame candidacy of somebody like Yadier Molina? Well, I don't think it's really fair to say that it does anything to that because it's it's out of his control and it's so unusual. So to me, if it's already going to be unusual, if it's already going to be not the same as all of those other years and all of those other formulas and all of those other equations, then just let it be even more weird so that you're not, you can kind of trick your brain into not trying to compare it directly. And that's maybe not the the normal way we talk about baseball because again typically baseball fans like baseball because it is that way because it is the same and because it is consistent and because it is a little bit almost mundane in just the normalcy of it from year to year that's what we like about it but it's not going to be that no matter what solution they come up with at this point so you know I'm I'm good with not trying to to twist our our brains into thinking that it is. Yeah, I, I I hope, however much time we miss, and again, it could be the whole season. I hope we remember that uh, um, yeah. because you know we think about a player like Larry Walker who, and I, I don't know if there's actual evidence behind this, but it seems like maybe his Hall of Fame uh, candidacy was stalled a little bit. You know, he did finally get in; that was good, but it was perhaps you know, people talked about maybe it was stalled for a little bit because he didn't have quite the compiled stats that players who had more plate appearances would have. And, you know, part of that is because he, he was around in 94, 95 when they didn't play full seasons. Um, uh, you know, 95, they almost did, but 94, you know, he, he only had like 400 or 450 plate appearances and who knows, like, you know, you give him those extra, 300 plate appearances or however, whatever it was that he missed out on. And some of his all-time stats could look slightly different and could have looked more attractive to voters and could have gotten him in a few years earlier. You know, I know this is a very minor thing, but this is, these are the things we care about and think about when it comes to baseball. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, Yadier Molina, if, uh, what, what was Yadier last year? Like a two-win player? I don't even know. Um, I, I don't even really care, frankly, but people will care when his Candace comes up talking about his his war. Now they're probably not going to care too much about his what his war was in his later stages of his career, um, as as much as they might, you know, during that Jaws period or or whatever. But yeah, it, when it comes to compiling stats, those things do matter to Hall of Fame candidacies. And like, it's going to be a bummer if we miss out on what could have been Adam Wainwright's last really good. Well, I shouldn't say really good year, but last year where he was competitive at this level. Um, you know, who knows what's going to happen from one year to the next. So th- that, I think that is kind of what depresses me the most about all of this is just, uh, you know, what are we going to miss out on that we'll never even realize? Yeah, that's one of the things that I love so much about baseball is that every every night you can watch history of some kind, right? You Every night you can see something that you've never seen happen before. But every season you get a chance to watch these stories develop into something that maybe you expected and 
you can then celebrate or maybe it's something that you were not totally sure of. Like this year with the Cardinals, there were so many things that we had talked about. I don't know how this is going to happen. I don't know who's going to be on the roster. I don't know what the rotation is going to look like or what the back end of the bullpen is going to be. And yeah, Adam Wainwright is certainly one of those cases that it was kind of like, cool, I'm glad that he's still around for a year. We don't know what that would look like and we don't know if we're going to get it back. And that's the reality after a lot of this is that we don't know what we're going to get back <laughs> at the end of this, whether it's, you know, major league players or the seasons that they were putting together or, you know, on a very real level, minor league guys who might not get to continue to play after this because they either can't afford it or because the team that they're playing for doesn't exist next year or, you know, those sorts of things. So not to end this on a very depressing note, but you know, talking about all these possibilities for playing baseball this season is great and it's entertaining. And sometimes it generates this uh, sort of healthy banter back and forth where we hate it and we can joke about it and we can laugh about it and talk about how terrible it is. But the other reality is not having baseball at all this year. And I don't, I don't want some weird version of baseball that doesn't actually count as baseball necessarily. But man, going all summer without baseball is going to be we're going to have to find a different thing to talk about on this podcast if there's no actual baseball, or we're going to have to just like go back and watch a season in the past and talk about it as if it's real time because I think this should just be a Rod Stewart podcast. Oh, there you go. We are now a Rod Stewart podcast. Maybe I will only do Rod Stewart TikToks and (laughs) that we can blend it all together. Um, Alex, I think that's about it as far as baseball is concerned, unless there's anything else you want to throw out there at this point. I I don't have anything else. Okay. Neither do I. Um, (laughs) Do you have a chirp of the week? Yeah, I do, but it's not very good. I'm I'm telling everyone that up front. (laughs) You can stop listening right now if you want to. Um, Partly because I, like I said, I had that zoom meeting and I ran out of time that I thought I was going to have, but I was thinking, um, Tara, did you watch the 2006, um, the replay of the 2006 NLCS Game 7 against the Mets the I other night? I did not watch it because okay. I was podcasting with Daniel Shoptop. <laughs> ah, there you go. Um, I tuned in, uh, I think, right after Andy Chavez made that catch. And then, um, so I didn't see the catch, but I saw Supon get out of the jam like that next half inning. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's kind of what you have to do with these things, right? You, you can't sit down and watch a whole three-hour game that happened 15 years ago. You kind of just have to pick your spots, the good spots, and do that. At least that's yeah. how I feel like you have to do right. it. If, you, if you're able to get a couple hours out of this, then, you know, good for you. Um, but to me, that is, from beginning to end, the best Cardinals game, I think, of my cognizant lifetime. Just in terms of the stakes. And in terms of how good it was, again, from beginning to end. And that's kind of what eliminates, like, say, game six, the David Freeze game, which is that that game didn't turn great until, <laughs> in, until what, the, like the 11th hour, yeah. right? Um, it was pretty so terrible I to, before that. Yeah, it really was. It's not a fun game to watch. Uh, until which I get, knew, but when they replayed that on opening, what should have been opening day, yeah. once again, I was like, oh, man, yeah. this is terrible. Yeah, so, so I, I wanted to think about the three best games, what I think are the best Cardinals games, um, starting with like the La Russa era on. So La Russa to the present. Uh, and I'm using what I just said as the parameters, which is high stakes and that it was good 
the game was good from beginning to end. So I want to go with my top three. And number one is the game I just mentioned. I really think that's the best Cardinals game of my lifetime. And, and it also has to do with the fact that we hadn't seen them win the World Series yet. And I was kind of conditioned to them losing those games, especially after Chavez makes that catch. So for them to come back and win that game, it was just out of this world. And it was such a great moment. And uh, uh, another funny thing, I don't know if you saw this, but that picture of Donald Trump, uh, who's, who's our president, by the way, um, you're aware, uh, that picture of him behind Yadier Molina started making the rounds tonight again mm-hmm. uh, because apparently he said something to the effect of, I'm tired of watching sports from 14 years ago, <laughs> which, uh, yeah, 2006 was 14 years ago. And several people <laughs> tweeted out that picture. And it's funny because when I was watching the replay, I was looking for him because we've all been aware of that picture for several years now. Uh, but I've never seen any video of him at that game. And I sort of get it because the camera angle shows it from the other way. Like you're looking at the other part of the crowd from where he is. Mm, um, yeah. Think of like the Fox Sports Midwest camera angle from this past year and reverse <laughs> From right it field? Almost. Yeah. But, but then think of it from like sure, left sure. field. Yeah. And that's kind of what they were showing. Now, I, I am surprised. You know how often like Fox, and it was a Fox game, loves to show like celebrities in the crowd. I am surprised they never showed him. But then mm. again, he was probably doing The Apprentice at that time. Was that a Fox show? I don't even mm, No, I think it I was don't CBS. A- NBC, maybe? Or I don't know. NBC so something. <laughs> maybe since he was on a rival network, they didn't yeah. want to promote him. I don't know. It's possible. But no, I, I didn't see him there. So um, if you're a truther and think that picture is Photoshopped, and I believe I've gone down a rabbit hole and proven that it's not. But if you are a truther and think it was Photoshopped, that might give you some ammo there. But anyway, that's that's number one. Number two has to be, to me, the Chris Carpenter-Roy Holiday game. Game five, 2011, NLDS. Again, just from beginning to end, it was just a terrifying game. It, the Cardinals got off to an early lead, up 1-0 after the first two batters of the game, Rafael Furcal and then Skip Schumacher. And then it was just like hanging on for dear life against a team, a juggernaut of a team. I I think that Phillies team won like 103 games, 104 games. They were an awesome, awesome team. One of the, uh, I would say one of the best teams of the last 20 years that did not win the World Series. And and they won that game and just seeing Carpenter go the distance and, you know, I assume it was Pujols squeezing the final out at first base uh, and everyone mobbing Carpenter. It's just an image I will never get out of my head. So that's number two. Full disclosure. I have yeah. never seen that game. <laughs> I have that game on DVD. If you I um, was working that night and was watching game day on my phone the entire time. I might have been listening to the radio at some points when I was able to, but I never saw that game. In fact, I'm pretty sure I have it on DVD and I still have not watched it. I can I assure you that. it was terrifying to watch in real time. Which uh, might be why I've never watched it because it's <laughs> oh, a lot to handle. <laughs> It's more exciting, though, than you would think from a 1-0 game. because sure. I mean, I like a good pitcher's duel. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And Carpenter did kind of, uh, you know, he pitched a great game. But he there was a he got up a few jams here or there. And I believe at one point, uh, who hit, someone hit a ball to the warning track, maybe in Chase Utley, where I was positive it was gone. And it stayed in the park. And, and number three, 
last one, and I want to get your opinion on this because I was torn between two games. And maybe there's another game that you're thinking of, or maybe you have a whole different number, uh, one through three altogether. But number three was torn for me between 2004 NLCS game six against the Astros when Edmonds walked off the game. And 2013 game one of the NLCS against the Dodgers that went to extra innings that Carlos Beltran won with a double down the line. And I'm going, believe it or not, with game one, 2013. Okay. And, you know, the other game probably meant more. You know, like obviously the state, you know, that was if we lost that game in 2004, if we lose that game, Astros are going to the World Series. Um, You know, the Astros get to go get swept by the Red Sox, not (laughs) us. Um, So the stakes you could certainly say were higher in that 2004 game. But I feel as though watching the 2013 game one, I was on pins and needles in a way I wasn't in 2004. And maybe it has something to do with my age or I was, I don't know. But I feel as though from beginning to end, that game one, 2013, against the Dodgers, just felt like more of a ride than that game six. And I, I could be crazy and it could be, I mean, neither are recent by this point, but it certainly 2013 is more fresh in my mind than 2004. <laughs> but that's my number three. Thoughts? I like it. I, I like all three of those. And I like that they're not, necessarily the games that everyone thinks of as far as you know don't get me wrong like I love game six and and that whole thing I love the story of it but as far as like a really great game to watch yeah I think those three are are definitely better um I would probably go with a 2013 game as well just because man that team that team was a lot of fun to watch too um not that 2004 wasn't obviously great team (laughs) But yeah, probably the the recency bias comes into play a little bit there as well. But um, all three great picks. I might need to try to find them and watch them because um, I'm also having to watch old games, Mr. President. <laughs> but, you know, the safety of humans is a bigger priority at this point than, than baseball, as we've discussed ad nauseum at this point. So if you are listening and you have a different top three or you have thoughts on any of those three games feel free to share them with us we're gonna wrap this one up for this week but don't forget if you have questions or thoughts or comments or just want to say hi there will be a link that we'll tweet out at you all week carter's figured it out he can tell you how simple it is it's really easy just click the link hit start recording and then speak to us and you can hear your own voice or your question or your comment on the show next time you can follow everything you need to know at birds on the black on twitter and on your favorite podcast listening service he's alex i'm tara i think that'll do it so we'll talk to you next time